And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you with indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home. We're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Jay Patton Drancer, as we help you navigate through uh, these uncertain times. Drancer, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. I'm uh, I'm going to check out that service to stay sane during teleworking <laughs> because my current guidebook, which is that one chapter of Infinite Jest about the makeup that people started wearing once they started to live in screens, um, that is do- having the opposite effect on me so far. Hey, where do you stand in your, uh, speaking of infinite, uh, your supply of, of Lego characters? Because I was enjoying your morning uh, coffee photo with the Lego guy attached to the Lego cup. Like, can that go on indefinitely or have you reached the end of the line? Uh, you know what? I, I've taken a couple days off. I need to get back to it. Uh, but yeah, no, I just I just sort of ran out of time and uh, motivation. I had some uh, couple family things that I needed to sort through. Um, and, and that sort of distracted me this week, but I'll get back to it. I, I've got, I mean, look, the thing about Lego is it's always infinite, right? You can always sort of do it. I also think I just, I, I got offended by Mark, my, Mike Martinego's, um, uh, <laughs> 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 he was very upset with it. Um, including uh, Ralph Rantanego, in fact, called me out on, on their podcast, uh, yesterday said he was going to vomit. Uh, and I just don't want to see that gif anymore in my app mentions. So no, Fair look, enough. I've uh, I took a brief hiatus, but I'll get I'll get back to it. I just think I'll probably save it for the Instagram. Uh, won't go back on Twitter, hoping to avoid the ire of uh, of Mark, Mike Martin. Oh my goodness, Mark, Mike Martinega. Uh, look, is it as simple as like, can you just put a new plastic cap on a guy and consider that a new Lego character? Like, can you switch hairstyles and consider that a new character? 
I can, but I'm only going bald style, man. Like, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Keeping it real? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, we got to speak about your beard. Did you actually shave it off? Uh, I did not. Uh, it still good. remains. It's a, a I think work. it's good. I think it's a sharp look, man. Well, I had the one guy that responded, uh, for people that didn't see, I posted on my Instagram two weeks in quarantine, and I was wondering if it was time to get the, the razor out. Uh, I'm a little disappointed in my ability to grow. Like, I see other guys that can grow full facial hair in, like, three days. I'm not there. But as a guy that has basically lived my entire life without uh, any kind of facial hair, I had some guy that said, like the look. In fact, I like it better than the old I was like, wait a sec. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. Like, you know, again, all these years with no facial hair, and I post one pic with sort of a beard, two weeks growth, and some guy's telling me I look better there than I have for, you know, all the years that I've left, lived on this planet. So uh, I wasn't sure if that was, like, a no, swipe, that's, that's, if it was a... No, that's just the power of the beard, man. You look, you look gritty. I like it. I think it's a good look. I just think, you know... It, Trim up your mustache a little bit and uh, and do a little bit of shaping. You'll figure out something that works for you. But I think it looks good, man. I think you should stick with it. All right. Well, I'll take that under advisement. It's still here, so <laughs> I have that option to uh, push on. I, I got a fair bit of support from people that thought i you know, ride this thing out. I don't know what the finish line ultimately would be. Um, you know, quarantine for me ends on Friday. Um, you know, this is – it's funny because we keep talking about – you know, the games that the Canucks have missed, and I want to get into the fact that now they're on a nine-game win streak, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. But, to, you know, this to me, it kind of dawned on me this morning. Like, it was two weeks ago today as we record this that the league made the decision to, to shelve the regular season. So two weeks. The Canucks would have played eight games in that time. Like, that just gives you, to me, that paints a pretty good picture of how insane their March schedule was going to be in terms yes. of the workload and the demand and the travel and everything else that, you know, it hasn't even been two full weeks. Like tonight would have been that game in Glendale and there would have been eight right. games that they would have played, including the one against the Coyotes. But like March was just an absolute beast. We knew that going in. But to me, when I thought about that, like, damn, like, yeah, life's kind of sat still here and there hasn't been any hockey to talk about. They would have played eight games and apparently they would have won them all. <laughs> we would have been busy man it would have been fun like it you know it's it, it's tough to swallow right like it's just tough day to day for, for i find yeah and uh, certainly certainly you know I, i'm i'm at the point too where i'm waking up and checking that projection i don't know if i would be quite so closely if the canucks weren't just dominant like his model today so the canucks beat the sharks for their ninth straight win their eighth straight win since the shutdown and now, now their most likely playoff opponent, JPAT, is the Minnesota Wild, right? I because they've got like a seventy-nine percent chance of facing the Wild in the first round because they've all but locked up the Pacific Division. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And like, then no, the you're idea right. like, for people that aren't following along, like this is Dom's decision at the Athletic, and he does this on a daily basis. But like they have buried the Pacific Division, like this. This win streak now that in his modeling is up to nine, like the, the Islanders game that they actually played, and then these eight that they have, you know, missed, they've won them all. They've run this table to this point. Like, Vegas looks like it's kind of hit the... Like, the Canucks have like a five-point lead ahead, uh, top of the division. <laughs> like, 94 was always... 94 points was always that number that I kind of used, right? It was that, like, beacon of if they can get to 94, they're going to be right. in the playoffs. 
like in Dom's model, they're at 94 now with five games still to go. Like, and I would say that they're not going to win them all, although the way they're going, like the crazy part for me, Tom, was when I looked at, uh, and it's, it's a fascinating project to, to sort of walk through, but like they're on the board now for Stanley Cup percent, like percentage chance of winning the Stanley Cup. Like they, I know this run has given them life. I think it's 4%, but you know, most of the teams are at zero and the Canucks are now among the team that actually in Dom's modeling have a percentage chance of winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and I mean, you consider what that means. That's a 1 in 25 shot. A 1 in 25 yeah. shot. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't take that? So, look, you know, <laughs> it's honestly almost cruel, right? Because I look at it and I just think, boy, how good would business be right now in this city, right? Oh. Like, the building would be going nuts. The conversation would be... I mean, the conversation would actually, the the problem with win streaks, right, is you don't have enough drama. It's just like the team's winning, you know, like, I I mean, I guess we'd be at the point where like, you know, songs were being written about the top six and about Brock Besser's impact on his return, right? Because that would sort of be the galvanizing moment, right? We'll be like, wow, look what happens when this team has this top six. You know, I'm sure there'd be some backup goalie controversy stuff, right? Presumably Demko would have had to play pretty, pretty damn well to get the Canucks to this point. So I guess that would be raging. Um, You know, I'm sure I would have dropped my article on how the Canucks can keep both Markstrom and Demko at expansion. Um, Like, you know, this market would just be going crazy. And I mean, I guess the market's going crazy anyway. Still the big cheers at 7 p.m., but... Uh, in a totally different way, and and man, that would have been a lot of fun to cover, eh? Yeah, and look, like it's all we've got right now, so we're kind of having some fun with it. But just to put it in perspective, like if the Canucks had rattled off nine straight wins, that would have been the second longest win streak in franchise history. Like that's what we're talking about, you know. Just to give it a little bit of context here, so you know, it's unlikely that in real life that they would have strung nine together at this time of the year, uh, especially when, as we pointed out, they had to go into Colorado, they had to go to Vegas. Uh, you know, there were other tough games on the schedule there, but uh, look, it's all we got, so why not run with it? It's it's a bunch of fun, and it, you're right. Like just the idea of how they would have got to this point, like what a nine game win streak would have looked like, night in, night out, on the ice. The central characters, uh, the goaltending. We know that Markstrom probably would have been back and in goal by this point, just based on what we've been told by Jim Benning and the timelines for his injury and everything else. So, uh, you know, no, it's just like it's fun, and and I'm kind of I'm, I'm with you now. Like I get up each day and I did they win? Like how did they do? Is this <laughs> And now they got back-to-backs. They got back-to-backs this weekend at home, which is always, you know, it's a rarity in real life, but this was actually on the schedule that the Canucks were going to have games Friday and Saturday at Rogers Arena against Anaheim and Calgary. Uh, You know, you don't see it that often, especially in Canadian markets. They try to space games out, and, you know, it's a lot to ask your season ticket holders to come to the rink two nights in a row. Uh, And so for a variety of reasons, it doesn't happen that often. But, again, in this beast of a schedule, they had to cram all these games in. The Canucks would have actually stepped onto the ice twice this weekend, Friday and Saturday, at home against Anaheim and Calgary. And and a last point is, I think if the Canucks had been on a a nine-game win streak at this point in the season, right? Quinn Hughes would have put the Calder to bed, right? Like, that would be over. Travis Green, Jack Adams buzz? For sure. 
100%. Like, that would be a major storyline nationally, if not locally, just because locally um, we're negative, right? Like, no, locally, Canucks fans don't like to have that conversation. And maybe Jim Benning, GM of the year, Buzz? Like, I think maybe if they'd gone on a nine-game win streak at this point in the season and looked comfortably ensconced at the top of the Pacific, like, wouldn't that be part of the conversation, too? It's wild, wild stuff that Dom's producing right now. No, you're right. Like, we talked on the last podcast about, you know, Kale Bacar with that three-point night in on all three goals uh, in the last game that was actually played. Like, talk about, you know, leaving the voters with something to, to think about. Absolutely. A nine-game win streak at this time of the year to go from looking like you were going to slide right out of the playoff picture to somehow, I mean, it would be right back to December where it looked like they were slipping you know, away from the playoff pack and their season was getting away from them. And then they went 14 and three, like what a bizarre season that would be to have a 14 and three run when you absolutely needed it. And then again, to get on this kind of, to bender at the end of the year, you're right. Like, I I do think that that would have swayed a ton of votes in the favor of uh, all of those Canucks that you mentioned. Uh, We talked briefly too, on the last pod about uh, the athletic writers casting their votes for season-ending awards. And, and you talked about GM of the year, and Joe Sackick was the winner in the poll, but you had mentioned that, you know, your vote had gone for Julian Brisebois. When you look at GM of the year, like, are, what are the parameters when you consider voting? Like, is it the work done in a calendar year? Is it the work done in the span of a season? Or, you know, is some, is this one of those awards, like, was Joe Sackick's, last 12 months so amazing or you know has it been the slow build to produce the team ultimately that he has on the ice now so i look at it from the per like my vote for breezebois was based was predicated on the full cycle right so i consider a full cycle of the season a full year, league year from essentially the time i'm voting right and so for me with breezebois considering you know the way that they went out of the playoffs and the significant sort of issues that they had against the cap and the gymnastics required to maintain a competitive team and, you know, a a team that looked to me anyway to be a pretty credible Stanley Cup threat there. Uh, You know, that's sort of what I considered and that's kind of why I gave the nod personally to Brisebois over Sackick was... I just think the degree of difficulty walking that sort of tightrope when you're up against the cap the way the Lightning are year after year is tougher. Like, it's so much harder. It's a different game than sort of, you know, being able to take advantage of the Burakovsky situation and, you know, getting a super rookie signed in Kale McCarr. And, I mean, if there's a guy, like, the work that Sackick and McFarland and company have done over a couple of years here is as impressive as anything we've seen in the NHL in terms of raw accumulation, right? And, and I mean, we forget they have Bowen Byram coming, right? Ridiculous. And but Alex Newhook. For me, and Alex no, yeah, ludicrous, right? For me, though, when I think about the Avs and the step they took this season, you know, first of all, I think the work was done over the past couple of years as opposed to just being an impressive run of form this cycle. Secondly, I sort of look at it and think what impressed me most about how the Avs carried themselves this season was probably Bednar, uh, Bednash, their, their head coach. Uh, the way that he, sorry, it's Bednar, excuse me, it <laughs> Bednar. The way Bednar 
ran his D. Like, he just trusted this young D and played them in big minutes right off the bat and stuck with it and knew that, like, you watch some of those early season Avs games, like, they had mistakes. There were a lot of mistakes. They were figuring it out together, right? Graves, Makar, even Gerard. Like, these are young players. Gerard playing, like, 26 minutes a night. Like, it's crazy. And they just kept trotting them out and and they let them make those mistakes. They were still coming on the next shift and the, the improvement defensively in terms of their structure over the second half blew me away. Like for me, and, and I think because people expected the Avs, he gets sort of dinged for it. But Bednar's performance this season stood out more to me than Sakic's, if that makes sense. And that's sort of why I ended up, you know, leaning away from Sakic and toward Brisebois personally anyway. Not that it's like a war between the coach and the GM for consideration, but when I think about like what the Avs did that struck me as unique, that's kind of what was at the top of the list. For me, when I look at the work that Brisebois did walking that tightrope in terms of the cap, and then I look at the proactive moves that he made at the deadline to acquire Goudreau and Coleman and pay premium prices to do so, but especially when you consider what may now happen with a flat cap or worse situation coming out of this cataclysm right like there are benefits to approaching things as proactively as Brisebois has characteristically throughout his tenure and especially over the past year and for me that sort of uh, shifted my thinking anyway in Brisebois' favor uh very selfishly like one of the things I kind of feel ripped off about with the state of the game and look I get that there are much bigger issues globally but with no more hockey uh, at least I don't see any way that they're going to resume a regular season. Uh, you know, I, I really was looking forward to seeing what Tampa looked like in the playoffs, what lessons they learned, the changes that they made, uh, how motivated were they. You know, my sense is that John Cooper's job was probably on the line if they had another early exit. Like, I really wanted to see what this year's Tampa Lightning uh, were going to look like come playoff time and, you know, how they would apply the frustrations of, of years gone by. Uh, to whoever they matched up against. But it's, yeah, and look, maybe we do get some playoff hockey somewhere down the line, but, uh, you know, it's going to be different. And uh, uh, I, I just don't know that we're ultimately going to get the answers that uh, we were looking for in that regard. It's a Canucks podcast, so I want to bring it back to the Vancouver Canucks. But, you know, when you mentioned the Colorado Avalanche and that blue line and at some point the addition of Bowen Byram, you know, a lot of people look at the Canucks and think that the opening of the competitive window is sort of now, right? Like these next bunch of years that these young guys are going to grow. Uh, you know, when you look at the way that the Canucks are constructed, and we spent a fair bit of the last pod talking about the defense and how it's going to get, how it has to get better and how they might go about that. But like, I know the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champs in the here and now, and they were going to take another good run at defending their title. But let's say the next three years, like, do you think Colorado is the team that other teams in the West uh, probably have to be wary of the most? I do, yeah. I think for sure. And especially when you consider, you know, they're going to get another year out of McCarr's ELC, and then they'll get a few years out of Byram's. If Byram's a top four pretty quickly, right? Like, if they're running out of Byram, Graves, McCarr, Gerard, top four... Right. And all those guys are 23 and younger. Um, I mean, sky would seem to be the limit. Right. For that team, especially when you combine that with. Rantanen, McKinnon, Newhook, Comfer, Yost, 
uh, just an embarrassment of riches up front. Uh, and McKinnon. Cadre. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, on and on, right? Nachushkin, yeah. who's turned into a yeah. poor man's Mark Stone, on and on, right? Like, qu- quite a quite a sort of, uh, yeah, just, I mean, look, the Avs look like a gauntlet. <laughs> They're so good. And only getting better for a variety of reasons. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Avs are definitely going to be the team to match up against over the next couple of years. And, look, I think Edmonton's done some really good work, too, uh, in a brief spell of time, I mean, there's going to need, they need more time too to sort of repair some of the damage that's been done to that roster. But, you know, I think Edmonton's looking scary and I think there's no reason that Calgary can't get back on track pretty quickly here too. I think that was a really weird season, obviously with what happened with Bill Peters, but also, you know, I think their uh, blue line sort of, took a larger step back than maybe most people anticipated. Uh, You know, there was going to be opportunities to write uh, that in terms of Valimaki coming back would be big for them and, you know, maybe move on from TJ Brody. There's some options in free agency that I think they could have improved pretty quickly um, and certainly, you know, brought in a new coach and on and on and and sort of installed a new identity to some extent. So, I mean, I, I look at Calgary as a team too that could be, uh, annoying and then of course Vegas I mean I thought Vegas was finding their stride and and looking detailed and, and terrifying and that remains the best top six in the NHL so um, you know we saw the impact that Alec Martinez had there pretty quickly uh, that's not a huge surprise that team was clearly short on the blue line and you know he he he, he raised that competence sort of baseline pretty significantly so Vegas too uh, those are sort of the teams that I look at as as being real major threats in the near term. And um, certainly we'll sort of see, you know, I think Minnesota looks a little bit scary too with their structure, uh, you know, graft on a player who's beginning to look pretty elite in Fiala. And uh, you've got a pretty intriguing mix there too, uh, especially with a team that's still relatively young, uh, still maybe has some potential to grow. So um, going to be interesting in the West, but I think Avs, Vegas, Calgary, Edmonton would be sort of my quick short list of, of teams that, you know, look to be scary for years to come. I want to pick up on something that somebody reached out to the two of us on Twitter earlier in the week, and I want to get to that in a sec. But uh, first, tournaments have been canceled. Leagues are suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's barely been more than a week. No better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, they're still hard at work doing excellent reporting, telling unique, engaging, informative stories like one about Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Paraguayan jail right now, or how the situation between Todd Gurley and the Rams was beyond repair, or how minor league baseball players are getting financial support from their big league counterparts. It's during times like this that The Athletic can help keep you connected to the teams, the athletes, and the sports you love. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash thevancast, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us all to sports... Those don't go away. So go to the theathletic.com slash thevancast for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Had somebody reach out on Twitter, Drancer, asking the two of us if we had seen Travis Yost's piece on tsn.ca about MVPs for the seven Canadian teams. Did you have a glance at that? 
that piece? I hadn't. No. Okay. So what did, he, uh, what did he say? Well, he picked the MVP for the seven teams and sort of, you know, he had his choice and then he had others that were in consideration. And when it came to the Canucks, he said it was Elias Pettersson, full stop, nobody else. And that seemed to draw the ire of uh, many in Canuck land. And it's not that you couldn't build a strong case for Elias Pettersson. I mean, you'll probably be able to do that for the next decade. Uh, it was that Yost had no other Canuck candidates in his discussion for team MVP. I mean, I've been, I've been sort of saying this here and there. Like, I don't, I don't know if you remember when Sakaris and Price launched a poll for the MVP and left Pettersson off. And I sort of went at him on Twitter. I was like, what about Pet? Like, how can you have an MVP vote and leave clearly Vancouver's best player off of it? Right? Like I, I you know, PD is Vancouver's best player. No, no question about it. Now, I think the MVP is probably Jacob Markstrom just because when you factor in the permissiveness of Vancouver's defense, I think he papered over that more. But man, I mean, Pedersen's ability to drive play at the age that he's at, at 21, is astounding. And he completely changed the changes the environment when he's on the ice. He is definitely... I like I understand from an outsider's perspective and especially someone armed and with a bias toward data as Travis does have um, that you'd sort of conclude Pedersen with a bullet. You know, I think if you watch the team a little bit more um, and follow them day to day, it's clear that Markstrom's impact is a little bit larger. But I think that Pedersen's because of Quinn Hughes's dominance, because of JT Miller's excellent first impression because of Markstrom's importance, central importance, I do think that this market has slept on just how good Elias Pettersson has become so quickly, not just as an offensive piece, but as a two-way player. And I think this season, you know, we saw less of the loud rush goals, less of those big one-timers. We just saw a guy who was improving in a sort of subtle, workmanlike way in terms of driving play, winning battles, still producing points despite being played in a completely different way by opposition defenders, and doing a phenomenal, like a world-class job. And, you know, as you become a top 10 center in hockey, which he probably is close to, maybe he's already there, certainly getting there, um, you know, as you become sort of a top 5 maybe, like I think he's got that ceiling anyway, if he's not there yet, uh, you know, as that happens, like that's an, a world-class superstar contributor at a premium, premium spot. And I do think that that evolution, uh, so central to the importance of the team, almost went under the radar just because of a handful of other sparkling performances that Vancouver received from some of their top-end talent. <laughs> the, the fact that the market is sort of already sleeping on Pedersen and, you know, almost taking know. performances for granted is so <laughs> preposterous. No, but, well, and killing, but you're, and but you're killing Brock, but killing Brock too, right? Like how quickly we become spoiled. <laughs> it's funny because I've been doing sort of a daily breakdown of individual players on the midday show on 1040 here, uh, you know, trying to stay busy and trying to fill some segments and keep Canuck talk front and center. And like, I will admit, like, honestly, I, I will admit that like, I kind of forgot how productive Brock Besser was in the first half. Like, at the 41-game mark, the midway mark of the season, 
He had 39 points. He was a point-a-game guy, essentially, on pace for an 80-point season. I'm still not fully sure why Travis Green felt the need to start moving pieces around, but there were some games, I suppose, where he was looking for a little bit of an offensive spark, and and you know it seemed like it was Vertanen and Besser that became the, the two guys that flipped their spots, but... Um, you know, the Canucks kind of have to figure out what happened in the second half of the season, at least the parts that Besser played, because he missed the month with injury there. But at the 41-game mark, he had 39 points. So, you know, yeah, his goal total is down. He only had 16 for the season. Uh, he's a better goal scorer than that, but there's only one puck. And when you're playing with Miller and Pedersen, uh, they like to put the puck in the net as well. So, um you're right. It is funny the way that seasons are viewed and, and individual performances. And I think, two people have to remember, look, you've done it, I've done it. We're talking about Yost's piece, right? Like, half the battle of writing is to draw a reaction from people. And totally. so, you know, like, sometimes people get sucked into that, I think, and forget. They're, like, all up in arms. Like, how could you not have other candidates? But we're spending time talking about something that somebody wrote. And that's yep. part of the objective is, that's a big part of the objective is to get eyeballs uh, on that piece. Totally. And look, Pedersen, I think, I mean, that's a good conversation starter too, because Pedersen is this team's best player and that gets lost. Like that did get lost this season. You know, that got lost to the point where I had to fight with the afternoon show about putting him in an MVP poll. And then he got 10% of the vote. And, and that is low. Like that is too low. Pedersen, <laughs> we were with this market slept on how good Pedersen was this season. Uh, partly, I think, because he didn't take a big jump in his scoring stats, even while his underlying profile, you know, rounded out and became properly elite. And that's a huge development. Like, that's not something we should sleep on. That's something that should be regarded as a significant development for this team. So, you know, I think that. So. The PD thing, let's put that in a box. I, I think Travis makes a good point. Wouldn't be my pick. Let's move back to Besser real quick because that second half. I, I think two things that I sort of look at with Besser really quickly in terms of his cooling down in the second half. The first is I think the Canucks power play got scouted and they started to move him around, right? They, they moved him around. Um, he played in the bumper for a bit. He played at the net front for a bit. And ultimately, I think Vancouver's power play improved again once they started running everything off JT Miller on his strong side. And so the fact of the matter is I I look at that and then I look at him sort of bouncing around between the first and the third line. And I think that third line was a terrible spot for him. I don't think that worked at all. And um, I sort of wonder if to some extent, you know, he maybe was moved around a little bit prematurely and if it interfered with some of the consistency that he'd enjoyed in the first half of the season, um, situationally, I I think that that might've been a situation that if, you know, as the Canucks sort of do their own work during this break and look through their team's performance and and sort of how they were deployed, I wonder if that's one that they might be a little self-critical of, um, in terms of maybe messing with messing with that momentum a little bit. Um, I hope that that's what they sort of conclude because I think the the fact of the matter is as good as Toffoli was in his 10-game sort of cup of coffee with the team, um, you know, as good as Vertanen's season was, as much success as Josh Levo had, like the Canucks don't have another piece like Brock Besser. They don't have another star potential winger, you know, uh, all apologies to JT Miller who who performed tremendously this season. 
Like, the ceiling on Brock Besser is unique on this team. He's a crucial piece for this organization, and they need to uh, sort of recognize what he needs to uh, to get the most out of him uh, because this team's not getting to where they need to go if, if Brock Besser is not going to be a big, big part of it. I'm still just sitting here. I'm scratching my beard. You can't see me, but I'm doing it. Welcome to the club. It's fun. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This this notion of this market somehow holding the fact that, you know, Elias Pettersson didn't score 10 goals in his first 10 games the second time around like he did in his rookie season and like holding that against him in some fashion. And I'm thinking to myself, and we'll finish up here because... You know, the Canuck year-end awards, and I would imagine that they'll still hand them out at some point in some fashion. The Canucks, their year-end awards are always fan votes, right? And so it's a popularity. Some of them are. It's a popularity contest. The ones that are, it's a popularity contest. You know, sometimes it's hard to account for uh, where the vote's going to go. And, you know, I'm with you. I, I think that Markstrom ultimately, as he was last year, I think he would have been the team MVP. I mean, the easiest choice maybe in 50 years for top defenseman would have been Quinn Hughes. Then you get to, you know, most exciting player. I would think like a guy like JT Miller would have got strong consideration for the way that he played and all that he did. Are they going to, like, can you imagine Elias Pettersson getting shut out in, in like, team awards at the end of a season like this one? Like, is Elias Pettersson going to be the unsung hero? Is he... You think so? <laughs> wow, he should be. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, who, I, <laughs> who on this roster wasn't sung? Like, you know... Yeah, I, the Canadian I, I market, think... we, we have that discussion every year, or at least I seem to get right. into that discussion. Like, it's a Canadian market. Every story is told. Uh, yes. You know, would Chris Tanev have been your unsung hero just for playing Oh, maybe. Every That's game a good that... one. I like that one. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I like could Chris be... Tanev. He could be every year, really, like when you think of yeah. guys that don't have uh, get a ton of pub. You know, Adam Here's who I think would have won. I think, I, think, I think that Jake Vertanen would have won. Unsung hero? Yeah. Yeah? Possibly. I do. I think he would have won. And I think it would have been uh, quite ironic considering how often he is sung. But, um, but yeah, he would, have been, he would have been who I would have figured w- would have won. Here's who my pick would have been. Ready? Josh Levo. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, you can build a case. I mean, we've talked yeah. about his absence and how it wasn't talked about an awful lot. And if he had been healthy, you know, the whole Louis Erickson on Horvat's wing, like that wouldn't have even happened. It wouldn't have been reason for discussion. I do wonder if Quinn Hughes would be most exciting player. Like I talked about Miller. I think so. Uh, be, so now you're looking at, you know, Hughes getting a couple of, like, honestly, the thought of Elias Pettersson getting shut out, getting skunked in his second year, which, as you pointed out, was better than his rookie season. Uh, again, this market sometimes can be difficult to understand. And, and I'm curious to see how the Canucks, <laughs> I, I, I'm curious to see how the Canucks go about, uh, you know, year-end awards. We know that the NHL yesterday announced the shelving of the, you know, the Vegas show and the draft yep. and the combine uh, I want to leave that for another discussion because, like, this is going to be interesting now to see without hockey being played at various levels, you know, the reliance on sort of video scouting and how much work is being done, 
you know, in that regard to make some final decisions and, you know, things like the Memorial Cup that, you know, generally you're not boosting your stock. But I think back to a guy like Milan Lucic at the Memorial Cup here in Vancouver, you know, where he had such a dominant tournament and all of a sudden becomes a a second rounder. So, I mean, there are examples of guys that have used uh, junior postseason and and tournaments to to boost their draft stock. So uh, maybe we'll leave uh, scouting and sort of new age scouting and the way things are going to change for an upcoming podcast. But I think uh, we'll uh, call it a day for now and I'll let you get back to your Lego building. I will continue to... uh, (laughs) Do I need, like... Should I be applying beard oils or anything to help this thing grow? Or um, you can if you'd like. If you want to keep it soft, <laughs> I, I just do. I just use a little bit of conditioner, Jeff, and mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, you know I, I like to I like to spend some time shaping it. And then more than anything, I think the the thing is, at least in these trying times, just just shave it. Just care for it a little bit. It, it'll make you feel good day to day. All right, quarantine comes to an end uh, <laughs> on Friday. My 14 days are up. Not that my life's going to happy for you. Yeah, not that my life's going to change a whole lot. Although I guess maybe I can do a grocery run or something because uh, <laughs> I've been leaning on my wife to do uh, all of those oh. household chores. Is she, get, is she is she keeping you in mini eggs, bud? Uh, we exhausted it. We had a big bag and it went in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, I will. If I will admit uh, that. Yeah. If your snack if your snack supply isn't running low, you're a cop. <laughs> hey, make, make sure you rate. Make sure you rate and subscribe the Vancast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com/slash/thevancast, you'll get forty percent off your subscription. Hang in there, Drancer. Have yourself a good weekend. Uh, to all of our you listeners too, as well, we'll be back with a new Vancast. We'll see what the hockey world presents for us to discuss when we get back to doing the Vancast early next week here on the Athletic and theAthletic.com.